This podcast contains coarse language, dark humor, descriptions of violence, and opinions that will probably piss you off. Listener discretion is advised. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. And I just triggered about 80% of the true crime fan base. The Second Amendment is a hot-button issue. Liberals screech about gun violence almost constantly. Do they realize how many defensive uses of firearms there are annually, though? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. It's 2023. You're supposed to let criminals bully you and not fight back, otherwise you're racist or something. I've mentioned before that I am a deeply paranoid person. Not in the six white cars in a parking lot means the government is after me kind of way. More in the no other humans can be trusted and I should be prepared to fight back at any time kind of way. I've gone through a lot in my 28 years on this planet. I've seen my share of shady shit. Had a knife pulled on me by a tweaker once and almost got stabbed. I've taken countless rides with strangers. Hell, I even got myself into a preventable situation that ended in rape. I was not a smart teenager. And yes, I'm gonna victim blame myself for that last one. It was entirely preventable and I dropped the ball in so many places. While I didn't put a gun to his head and make him do it, I could have easily gotten away had I been armed or at least had a cell phone with a charged battery. Why am I telling you this? Because maybe someone can learn from my stupidity. I know I learned. I don't leave the house unarmed. I haven't in years. I also take a phone charger everywhere. This episode is going to be peppered with anecdotes and shit from my life. If that's not your cup of tea, you should probably skip this one. I'm sure you're wondering what we're going to be talking about today. It's not people meeting their end at the hands of the state for atrocious crimes. Not this time. Today we're going to talk about some people who decided to fuck around and in turn found out. This is the self-defense episode. Probably no last meals in this one. I'm sure that after this episode, you'll fully agree with me that it is better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And for my lovely Canadians on Rumble, looking at you, Jay, I apologize. I know your government robbed you of your rights long ago. They can't take your maple leaves, though. Just dry some of them some bitches and use them like throwing stars. I used to live in this house, people from Salt Lake County will know it depending on how well I describe it, so I'm going to try to keep it vague. It was off a main road, down a dirt road, not out in the sticks, but it was one of very few properties left in the area with a big piece of land around it. For context, it sits above a very nice white picket fence, Mormons type of neighborhood. There's a path leading from the main road down into the neighborhood that provides a pretty good view of the property. Okay, now that I just doxed myself, let me get to my point. This house was fucking creepy. It's old and creaky. Lots of rattling windows that don't open and doors that can easily be broken into. There were chains wrapped around trees throughout the yard. So, you know, it's like some horror movie shit going on here. <laughs> Over the years, we had several instances of people attempting to break in. One morning, we woke up to discover that the screen doors on all three sides of the house had been slit open. 
There was even one occasion where someone walked in the front door and stole my mom's handmade leather purse. We never could prove who did it, but we had suspicions. Other times, I witnessed shadows of people walking by my windows late at night. My room was on the back side of the house, overlooking the property below ours. There was no reason for anyone to be back there. And on another occasion, when I was partying with the man I'm now married to, he went outside to smoke. I went out with him to secondhand smoke. We witnessed a strange man creeping along my fence line. He had no business being there at all. So, you know, Daniel, being the toxically masculine man that he is, grabbed a sledgehammer from inside and confronted the guy. He ran off scared without saying anything. People are fucked up. I slept with a knife under my pillow while I lived there. This was my childhood home. We moved in when I was nine and my mom didn't leave until I was 21. This place instilled a fear into me that has yet to disappear. This is why I'm always armed to the teeth. If they want to fuck around, they should be prepared to find out. Is your property really worth more than a human life? Self-defense is a human right that we are all born with. No one can take it away from us. Tyrannical governments can try, but there will always be a way to fight back. Even if they come for your guns, or knives, or pepper spray. Since the dawn of time, humans have fought to defend themselves. That's how we've survived. The first case I'm going to bring you today comes out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. On May 5th, 2023, at a little before 8.30 p.m., police responded to a house on January Street. There they discovered a masked man near the front door suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. He was 52-year-old Kevin Ford, and he was already deceased. Ford hadn't been alone, though. His friend, 42-year-old Clifford Wright, was later found at the Salvation Army on Main Street. Wright had also been shot several times, but was still alive. So what the hell happened? Two gunshot victims, one dead at the house, one wandering around the streets. Well, it turns out that these two weren't just civilians being used for target practice, as a certain side of the political spectrum would like you to believe. The initial investigation revealed that two masked men had shown up to the house with the intent to make some money. You know, like good law-abiding citizens do. They made sure to wear gloves, for safety reasons, definitely not to prevent fingerprints from being left behind. The two men broke into the house through the front door and tased the family's dog. They then took the homeowner's teenage son and held him at gunpoint. Father of the Year award goes to this kid's dad who grabbed his gun and shot at the two intruders several times. After Wright was found at the Salvation Army, he was taken to the hospital to treat his wounds before being arrested. The charges were aggravated burglary, attempted aggravated robbery, convicted felon in possession of a firearm, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a violent felony. Dude's mugshot looks like Forrest Whitaker. I'm not even joking. As this happened so recently, he's awaiting trial, but I'm assuming that those bullet holes in him will be pretty good evidence of the crime he was trying to commit. The homeowner was not charged with any crimes, but now has to live with the guilt of taking a human life. Then again, the life he took was not one that deserved to be here. Anyone who can abuse an animal before scaring the shit out of a teenager all in the pursuit of money is mentally fucking deranged. Oh, and the dog is fine. 
But yes, my property is worth more to me than the life of someone who wants to take it. Stealing apples from my apple tree to feed your family is one thing. Stealing my flat screen TV to pawn for crack is another. My parents were never married. They didn't get along well enough to get married. I honestly don't know how they lasted eight years together. When I was like four, they broke up. My dad went to live with my mom's brother, which probably sounds weird, but they had worked together and were pretty good friends. I moved with my mom into her co-worker's house. This guy would later become my stepdad. All random unimportant details aside, I have a story to tell you. While my dad was living with my uncle, I'd go over to spend time with him. I have a very vivid memory of a summer day in whatever year this was. Probably 1999, maybe 2000. I was little. I was playing outside in my uncle's driveway unsupervised. My dad was inside, probably smoking weed to be completely honest. The man could give Willie Nelson a run for his money. But the point remains, I was alone, four or five years old. I noticed a truck drive by and didn't think anything of it. The guy driving had his window down. It was hot. Utah summers will fuck anyone up. A few minutes later, the same guy drove by again, this time a little bit slower. I assumed he'd just gone to pick something up or drop something off, you know, like people do. <laughs> My spidey sense was tingling a little, but not enough for a full panic. It wasn't until the third time, when he pulled up in front of the driveway and put the truck in park, that my gut told me to get inside immediately. Even at the tender age of four or five, whichever it was, I knew this guy was a threat. I ran in the house and locked the door behind me. I was too young to understand whatever his intentions were, but I knew I was in danger. I was Ralph Wiggum on the school bus. I've always had a very strong intuition, and this incident was the defining moment. Parenthood changes you. I'm not sure exactly what it is about seeing your own DNA living on through another person, but it triggers something deeply rooted in us. If you have kids, you'll know what I'm talking about. Mothers lifting cars off their kids with superhuman strength. Fathers fighting off bears with nothing more than a stick to protect their children. While some might hesitate to rescue, defend, or protect another person, simply due to another deeply rooted instinct called self-preservation, Parents will completely disregard it for their children. No consequence is too severe when it comes to keeping our babies safe. A father in Southeast Texas, who is unnamed in the articles I'm using for research, made that very clear. On June 9, 2012, on an isolated ranch out in Shiner, Texas, a witness watched a man forcibly carry a five-year-old girl out into a secluded area. The witness recognized the girl and immediately went to find her father. After following the sounds of the little girl's screams, her father came upon a scene that would be absolutely devastating for anyone, especially a parent. Behind a barn, he found Jesus Mora Flores raping his daughter. I can imagine the unnamed man instantly saw red. Who wouldn't? With adrenaline and rage coursing through his veins, the man began to beat Flores mercilessly in the head and neck. He then called 911 and told them he needed an ambulance and that the monster who had attacked his daughter was going to die if they didn't get to him soon. The dispatchers had a hard time locating him as he'd called from a cell phone. I actually found the 911 call, so for the first time ever, I'm going to pull a sword and scale and put it in here for you. Keep in mind, the audio quality isn't great. I'm not a professional, so there's not much I can do about that. 
Slovakia County 911, state your emergency. I need, I need an ambulance. Okay. I need an ambulance. This guy was right to my daughter and I beat him up and I don't know. I don't know what to do. Okay, okay. Is this Daniel? Who? Yes, we're going to try to help you, but you got to give us directions to your house. I need some help. I'm working on it. If you can hold on. Okay, tell me what you live close by to. And the whole bunch of ranch is nearby, I don't know what to do. Come on, this guy's I don't know what to do. No, never mind, man. I'm going to try and load him up at the truck and go to the hospital, man. I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know where I live. I don't know the address. I don't know nothing, man. I don't know what to tell you. All I know is this guy's over here freaking dying on me, man. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. This man, holy shit, my heart aches for him. He sounds utterly terrified. I don't know any parent who wouldn't react exactly the same way in that situation. I've thankfully never had to walk into that scenario, but I have gone through some other very traumatic shit with my kids, and I know from experience that you get tunnel vision and do whatever you have to do to protect them. Flores' death was investigated as a homicide. The little girl was also examined, and it was determined that a sexual assault had occurred. Texas state law says that deadly force is authorized and justified when it is used to stop a sexual assault. A grand jury did not indict the father. He was never charged with anything. He was simply doing what was necessary to protect his child. If you ask me, Flores was lucky to leave this planet with so few injuries. I can't even imagine the pain I would cause to someone who hurt my kids. Thank God for fathers, especially ones who will go to the ends of the earth to protect their kids. This guy, though unnamed, deserves all the praise in the world. Another story from my past happened in 2015, I think. So back before I was married, or even officially back together with Daniel, I was dating this guy that lived up in Ogden. That's about 50 miles north of Salt Lake, for those of you who don't know what Utah is. It doesn't seem like that bad of a trip, but at the time I didn't have a car, so if I wanted to go up there, I had to take the train. This particular weekend, I had been out getting tattooed super late and ended up catching the last train up north. I was scheduled to arrive sometime after midnight. When I first got to the train station, I was alone. A short time later, this super messed up guy shows up. I'm talking face tattoos, thin as a rail, twitchy the stereotypical downtown Salt Lake tweaker. Like, he was gonna sell me a crowbar at 2 in the morning. The train stations here are pretty spacious. They're outside. I had a friend from Illinois come visit me once, and he was absolutely baffled that our trains drive through the middle of the street. Anyway, Mr. Meth had plenty of other available seats he could have taken, but he sat right next to me. Didn't say a word. My spidey sense immediately told me to get the fuck out of there, but I wanted to go get drunk with my boyfriend. We waited for the train, and he got in the same car as me. Sat close enough to keep me in his line of sight, but not close enough to be weird. It was still weird. 
I'm hyper vigilant about weirdos, especially at night. I hoped maybe he'd get off somewhere between Salt Lake and Ogden, but as we were getting closer, I was starting to panic. The guy I was dating at the time had agreed to walk the two or so miles from his apartment to the train station to meet me, but he wasn't answering his phone. He had fallen asleep. My only weapon was the unopened fifth of vodka I had stashed in my purse. Melon Smirnoff, for anyone interested. That shit was my favorite. I was so pissed when they stopped making it. The walk to my boyfriend's apartment was long, unlit, and passed through some very sketchy areas. When we pulled into the Ogden station, I was shaking. I had been able to call my boyfriend's cousin, who he was living with at the time, and he made sure to go wake him up so he'd come meet me. I was expecting him when I got off the train, but he wasn't there. So I started to walk, and Mr. Meth started to walk behind me. I knew something was up. I was in tears. I knew exactly what was coming. Spoiler alert, I lived. Right as we were getting to the part of the street where the lights didn't work, my boyfriend appeared out of thin air. Tweaky McGee turned tail immediately and walked off in the opposite direction. I have no doubt in my mind that he was planning to rape me or even kill me. I was a sitting duck. And this, my friends, is why you should always arm yourself. Gun, knife, pepper spray, purse with a bottle of vodka in it. It is better to have it and not need it than to be followed by a tweaker at night and not have it. I genuinely do not understand feminists who refuse to arm themselves. We don't live in a fairy tale world. Monsters exist in this reality. Why would you spend your time whining that men need to stop raping when you could spend your time learning how to defend yourself? Prostitution is illegal in every U.S. state except Nevada. I've heard stories about the Bunny Ranch. It's just a stone's throw away from the salty wasteland. Personally, I don't really care what women do with their bodies to make money. I think it's gross, but I'm not the one doing it. Not my chair, not my problem. And for the record, I don't believe that those who sell their bodies deserve to come to any harm. I wish it was a safer profession. Just like drugs. Yeah, it's easy money, but it doesn't come without risks. It's a profession that's been around since the beginning of civilization. Sex and food are probably the only two things we always have and always will need. Sex work is dangerous. That fact is undisputed. A lot of serial killers target vulnerable women who need money. This next story had me a little surprised. A young woman in Charleston, West Virginia had fallen on hard times and was working as an escort to keep herself afloat. Little did she know she'd come face to face with a man who would later be suspected of being a serial killer. I am a very socially awkward person. I need at least three or four drinks to get to a point where I am comfortable talking to strangers. I can't imagine doing that shit for a living. Getting into random cars with people I've never met to go do the nasty. That's like right up there with call centers. My brain just does not compute. On July 18, 2015, a young woman named Heather Saul would meet a man online and end up staring death in the face. I opened the door, he put the gun to my chest and he said, live or die. That's the first thing he said. Neil Falls was born into a large, poverty-stricken family in Oregon in 1969. He was a pretty strange kid. Moving around a lot will do that to you. He became interested in firearms, and that interest developed into an obsession with military weapons. I'm sure you're probably expecting me to tell you about his extensive criminal history and drug addiction, 
But there isn't any of that in this case. Balls left high school and got an entry-level job to support himself. His only real vice was his collection of weapons. This guy moved around a lot. From Oregon to Kansas and back, then to Nevada. He worked as a security guard at the Hoover Dam, which afforded him the opportunity to be a sick bastard. Balls began abusing animals out in the Arizona desert, which landed him some disciplinary action. Around this same time, he was hanging around pimps and prostitutes. In the mid-2000s, he traveled to the Philippines for... You guessed it, sex tourism, because that's a thing. I've mentioned twice now that this guy moved around. Between 2009 and 2015, he lived in Oregon, Indiana, Kentucky, and Texas. In the summer of 2015, he moved from Texas to West Virginia, and this is where shit went sideways. You still have the same address here in Oregon? Um, nope, I'm actually where, where at now? I don't know where at my next stop is. Okay, you just living out of your vehicle? Um, so I get to West Virginia. It's safe to say that Falls was a deviant. He was using a site called Backpage, which, if you've listened to any bit of true crime, you probably know what that is. Escorts use it to find dates. Falls found Heather on this site and managed to get a hold of her address. She was living in Charleston, West Virginia. Falls broke into her residence and held a gun to her chest. Rather than go down without a fight, she grabbed a rake to defend herself. Neil Falls was a fucking idiot. In the process of trying to get the rake away from Heather, he set his gun down. She was quick thinking and grabbed the gun, firing blindly in her attacker's direction. Bullseye. Hit him right in the head and killed him instantly. Heather called 911 to report the incident. Police came, and upon searching the body, they found four sets of handcuffs. A further look into his car revealed a machete, knives, axes, a sledgehammer, a shovel, bleach, plastic trash bags, bulletproof vests, and some clean clothes. You know, things that normal people keep in their cars. Mr. Falls had firearm handcuffs. Uh, he had the ability to kill, maim, and disable, and, and keep prisoner, if necessary, uh, any victim that he had, had ran across. At this point, police were able to link the objects in his car and his M.O. to other missing and murdered women in three other states. During the years Falls lived in Nevada, several sex workers disappeared. Three of them were later found murdered and dismembered. All of these missing women had used the internet to advertise their services. He was also initially suspected in the disappearances of 12 Ohio women, but was ruled out due to a lack of evidence tying him to their cases. In addition to the other creepy shit they found with his body, Falls had a list of six other women who were involved in prostitution and their contact information. It is believed that they were potential victims. These women were tracked down and thankfully were all found to be alive and unharmed. Heather Saul did the world a favor that day. She didn't let fear cloud her judgment. She fought back and ended up saving her own life. No charges were filed against her as it was pretty clear she had shot Falls in self-defense. Good on you, Heather. I sincerely hope you're out there living your best life. I mentioned in another episode that there was a point where the mall I worked in had been the target of a shooting. That place was fucking packed all the time as it hadn't been open for very long. I was terrified, but I went to work anyway. You can't let crazy people control your life. To live in fear is to not live at all. 
I found an article on this situation, and I will link it in the description for anyone who is interested. I know I've said before that I don't want to cover any mass shootings. They always bring out the worst in people. It almost always becomes an issue of race or gender identity or some other irrelevant bullshit. Depending on the race and orientation of the shooter, it's either the gun's fault or they were a mentally ill white supremacist. All mass shooters are mentally ill. There is clearly something wrong with a person who can go out in public and massacre a bunch of strangers. And get prepared to throw a fit, because what I'm going to say next is one of those opinions that will probably piss you off. Taking guns away from law-abiding citizens will not solve the problem. To quote Dale Gribble, Guns don't kill people. The government does. I know he's just a paranoid, government-hating fictional character, but he ain't wrong. I'm using two articles to research this one, and I'll just say right now, they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm doing that on purpose to try to give an unbiased account of what happened. One makes it a point to shriek about gun violence and bring up the race of the shooter, while the other one focuses on how the assailant was taken down. This is the problem with the media today. We are focusing on irrelevant points. On July 17, 2022, the Greenwood Mall in Indiana was full of people wandering around, buying shit, eating delicious food court snacks, hell, maybe even going into Bath and Body Works and testing all of the new scents they always put out when my bank account is in the negative and I can't afford them. Little did any of them know that their lives would be changed forever. A 20-year-old man named Jonathan Douglas Sapperman entered the mall and headed straight for the food court bathroom. He was in there for over an hour. This dude had a juvenile record which included offenses like running away and getting into fights at school. So he's obviously kind of fucked up, but that's not really anything to bat an eye at. Immediately after exiting the bathroom, he opened fire. Five people were hit and three of them died. Pedro and Rosa Pineda, 56 and 37 respectively, as well as 30-year-old Victor Gomez were killed during the attack. A 22-year-old woman and a 12-year-old girl were also injured but thankfully survived. Less than two minutes after the shooting began, the gunman came face to face with an armed civilian. The news anchors I watched, along with a cop they interviewed, do everything in their power to avoid saying this man's name. Not because they don't want to identify him. I think they were all just struggling to get it right. I'm gonna try, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but the spelling on this is very unique. Elijah Dickin was a 22-year-old man with a legal gun out at the mall with his girlfriend doing things that normal people do. People of a certain political persuasion tend to see people with concealed weapons as big brutes with crazy eyes and itchy trigger fingers, but we're really not. We're normal people who go to the mall, eat pretzel bites, and try on perfume at Bath & Body Works. Elijah, despite having no police or military training, was able to take the attacker down from a distance with his pistol. He'd apparently gotten a pretty good amount of practice in, which is something any gun owner with common sense will do. Immediately after neutralizing the threat, Elijah went to mall security and turned himself in. He was praised by the police for his bravery and proficiency, as he should be. Thank you, Elijah. You really are a hero. And I'm sorry if I'm fucking your name up. People can't get my kids' names right either, so I understand that pain. There was no motive for this shooting. Police did find a cell phone in the toilet in the mall bathroom, as well as a laptop and a can of butane inside the oven at the shooter's apartment. 
So something clearly snapped, but they're not entirely sure what. Indiana, like a handful of other very smart states, has a constitutional carry law. Utah has it too. This shooting was stopped by a good guy with a gun. The vast majority of them are. Gun-free zones don't do anything to deter crime. They simply make law-abiding citizens disarm themselves and make it harder for good Samaritans to help stop criminals. Yeah, it's the job of the police force to handle the criminals, but why do so many people think it's better to wait for the cops to show up than to have someone who's already there pull a gun and neutralize the threat immediately? There are risks involved in almost everything we do, but in this situation, the reward greatly outweighs the risk. I think I covered just about every kind of self-defense there is. I thought about throwing in a revenge story, but I plan on doing a vigilante justice episode eventually where I'll talk about that. I hope you enjoyed this one. I know it kind of betrays the name of the podcast because there were no last meals in here, but it's an important topic. Some people meet their end at the hands of those they're trying to harm. If I haven't convinced you to get a gun yet, at least get yourself some dried maple leaves or a bottle of melon smirnoff to keep in your purse. Anything can be a weapon if you need it to be. Get a gun, though, for real. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to live in a state that doesn't take people's rights away, take advantage of it. Guns aren't really scary. Just get some practice. Anyway, I'll stop pushing my agenda. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. I'm available on Rumble as well as most places you can get podcasts. Leave a Rumble or a like or whatever and subscribe. I'm not after your money. I just want to share fucked up stories with the world. You can get me on Instagram at lastmealpod. Before I go, I need to let you guys know that I am going through probably the heaviest shit I have ever dealt with in my life. Maybe you can hear it in my voice. I'm closer to the edge than I've ever been before. I will do my best to keep episodes coming out weekly, but my mental state is in the toilet and at this point I'm just trying to survive. I'm going to close this one out with probably my favorite quote of all time. If you never fuck around, you never find out. See you next time. <laughs>